trainers are well placed here because again, what you eat, how you move, lifestyle factors like stress and sleep and exercise are just huge, huge factors for helping people out. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for face-to-face learning, network members also save on standard rates for Filex, the fitness industry convention. In this episode, naturopathic doctor and sports nutrition director Mark Bubbs discusses the ketogenic diet, protein and satiety, thyroid dysfunction, and the critical role of sleep in enhancing performance with the fitness industry podcast's Bell Fong. Mark, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. The first topic I want to talk about today is ketogenic diets. We know it's kind of a big thing, particularly in the Australian fitness industry at the moment. And I want to talk to you about, I guess, the fundamentals of a ketogenic diet, you know, and how and why it works. So if you could give us an insight about that, that'd be great. For sure. Yeah. I mean, ketogenic diets have been around for forever, but uh, obviously now they've sprung back in in the last few years and definitely sort of been around for the last decade, but in the last few years really blown up in terms of popularity. Uh, so effectively a ketogenic diet is a very low carb diet. So we're talking about 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrates for the day. So really you're eliminating all the starchy carbohydrates, breads, pastas, rices, potatoes, etc. You're eating pretty minimal fruit, you know, maybe some berries or the fruits that have a high amount of fiber and mainly vegetables. So vegetables, protein, obviously, and then, you know, quite a bit of, in terms of fat. So 70% of your diet would be made up of fats. And those are the fats that are on, you know, the cuts of, of meat that you might be eating or adding things in like olive oil, avocado, butter, etc. And so, you know, with that, people talk about the term being fat adapted, which effectively means that your body now starts to burn more fat as a fuel source, which, you know, it makes sense. You're giving your body more fat. Therefore, it's naturally going to be burning more fat for fuel. And this can be a really good thing for, for weight loss, but it is just one strategy. So it's always good for people to figure out, you know, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, because sometimes I think we can get so dialed into trying to achieve a certain diet or to try to see ketones in a meter or measure that we lose track of why we're doing something in the first place. Cool. All right. That sounds great. And I guess, you know, when people are coming to you about ketogenic diets, I mean, a personal trainer is asking you, you know, how they can get their clients on ketogenic diets. And I guess, what would you recommend for, you know, PTs that have clients that want to go on ketogenic diets? Yeah, I think today it's different than a few years ago where people actually know a lot more about this. And so they might be proactively coming to a trainer and saying, Hey, I'd like to try this out, which is, which is totally cool. I think the, the big themes though of, of any weight loss diet, it's always important to, to, for trainers and everyone to take a step back again and examine the principles of why weight loss diets are successful. And the first one is, you know, caloric deficit. So anytime you take out one macronutrient group, in particular carbohydrates, because most all of the processed foods that we eat, if you look at five out of the top six most calorific foods that we eat in Western populations, they all tend to be really high in carbs. So we're taking away not only carbohydrates, we're pretty much eliminating all processed foods. So again, sometimes if clients are keen to get started, you can definitely dive in. But for a lot of clients, even just a low carb option with eliminating processed foods or even just eliminating processed foods, regardless of maybe they're on a vegetarian diet. So you, you've got some room to play with there, but that's one of the huge uh, principles there is a reduction in calories. The other big one for people is they tend to increase their protein intake when they're on a ketogenic diet or a low-carb diet. And increasing protein is, is a huge home run on a number of factors, You know, one of which it's tremendously nutrient-dense, so it's bringing a lot of 
of vitamins, minerals, etc. into the body. It's also the key macronutrient for satiety. So that's, a, you know, on its own, a fundamental principle. How do you keep people successful in losing weight? If they're hungry all the time, it's going to be a major problem. And so this is where protein is a huge win as well. And of course, we also know the thermic effect of food, you know, protein, it costs your body more calories to break uh, protein down. So those are some of the reasons why it can be a great strategy. I'd say you've always got to assess your client and see how far outside of their comfort zone this is. Like if you think, you know, they're kind of a low compliance client and it's difficult for them to make a lot of changes. If this is really swinging for the fences and it's going to take a huge shift in how they eat and, and their habits and behaviors, then, you know, maybe that's not the best place to start with. Maybe you want to nudge them along with, you know, either reducing processed foods, increasing protein, these kind of things. But, uh, but if you do get a client who's really gung ho, then definitely, you know, very, very safe type of dietary approach to, to add in phenomenal for things like metabolic issues, as well as prediabetes, diabetes. So it's, uh, it's definitely an option. And who are the people that are primarily coming to you that I guess want to try the ketogenic diet? Are you talking about athletes? Are you talking about kind of people that are obese? Who, who are the kind of people that are coming to you and saying, I want to try this? I think in, you know, for myself in clinical practice, you get more people now who've heard about it, friends, reading on the internet, girlfriends, et cetera. And so they want to dive in and give it a try, which is, you know, fair enough. I always want to let people, especially if they're motivated, that's one of the key things rather than immediately saying, even if you think that it's probably not the best approach in the long term, but, but trying to harness some of that motivation rather than oftentimes I think we say, well, don't do that. That's stupid. And then immediately it creates this issue in terms of the relationship and rapport you're trying to build with the client. So, you know, I think with ketogenic diets, this is where on the weight loss side of things can be a great tool. On the athletic side of things, this is where we get a little bit confused, I think, especially even in the people who are more moderate to advanced, because, you know, in the, in the literature, it's very clear that top end performance is going to be sacrificed by a pure ketogenic diet. And so a lot of these athletes that we see on TV or that we see performing really highly, they're actually using a modified form of this or literally just using it in before specific training bouts, right? So it's carbohydrate availability becomes kind of the, the key word there. And it's, you know, they just choose to do certain endurance bouts with a reduced carbohydrate intake. But these athletes are at the top end anyway. We haven't seen anyone win anything major on a purely ketogenic diet. And one of the reasons is we tend to sacrifice our ability to burn carbohydrates, right? That's clear in the research. And of course, when you're pushing it as hard as you can and you're going for gold and competing at really high intensity, you are burning purely carbohydrate. And so that's where you sacrifice your top gear. So yeah, something to consider depending on what your what your goal is again. Cool. And I guess what are the type of misconceptions that people have about ketogenic diets? Uh, I think one is that it's sort of a fad diet. I mean, a ketogenic diet, if we go back, you know, even a couple hundred years, it was tough to get food, right? Mm. And so even though the brain needs 120 grams of glucose, you know, where did it get it when we couldn't find food for weeks or months at a time? And so it's this really amazing evolutionary survival switch that allows us to break down fat, create ketone bodies, which can then fuel the brain, right? Of course, th this was always at, in, you know, in an emergency or in a situation of a low food availability scarcity. And then we'd go back to, you know, if we found food, we'd go back to that eating pattern. So I think you get a bit of back and forth depending on whether it's nutritionists, medical circles, et cetera, of certain groups thinking, well, this is okay for a short period of time versus others might say you can do this in the long term. You know, I always think depending on how your, you know, your health parameters, your health markers in terms of some blood tests or your, you know, your body composition, all these things will, will guide the way. And if you start to hit a, a roadblock or a plateau, that's when, again, when you, you don't want to be tied to just the dietary method or strategy like keto versus low carb, you want to just go back to those principles and say, am I achieving those overarching principles? Because that will get you to where you want to go.
Cool. Now, you're in Australia to talk about a few different topics, and the next one I guess I wanted to bring up is about thyroid, and I think also this is quite a popular topic at the moment with trainers, and, you know, a lot of people, I guess, are going to see their GP and and coming back and having these thyroid issues. I guess I wanted to chat to you about, like, the kind of differences between the thyroid dysfunctions and, you know, how how could a PT potentially not diagnose but figure out if whether or not they think that their client might have an issue with their thyroid? Yeah, this is a funny one because I sort of stumbled into this area. I mean, with having a background in sport, was always interested in sport. And of course, one of the best markers we have in sports for people who are pushing it too hard or they're into that uh, non-functional overreaching or overtraining is changes in in T3, which is the thyroid hormone. And so those levels start to get out of whack. Also, TSH starts to get impacted. And so all of a sudden, patients, clients would be coming in, female clients, of course, more predisposed to this than men. And these levels would be out of balance. And of course, from a pure medical side, it's it's not a frank hypothyroid condition. Their levels of TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, aren't high outside the normal range. Their levels of T4 are not low outside the normal range, but they do have symptoms. So it's it's this continuum. They don't have the frank condition, so their doctor says you're okay, but they know that they don't feel so good. So ultimately, it comes down to this idea of there's all these influencing factors. So if you're purely an athlete, the stress from training and incomplete recovery, et cetera, would be one of the reasons why the thyroid would get out of balance. But you don't have to be someone who's training that intensely for this to occur. It could be the stress from working 12 hours a day, the stress from not sleeping enough, et cetera. We layer onto that the sort of trickle-down effects of how that impacts things like blood glucose and blood sugar response. All of a sudden, we're making food choices that we might not normally do. We're looking for more sugars, more processed foods. That starts to impact inflammation in the body. So all these things kind of are connected, but they become that underlying piece that's contributing to the thyroid symptoms cropping up and the thyroid lab tests getting out of whack. And so sometimes I think we focus almost a little too much in the labs and just, you know, for the trainer, it's, it's great because you can almost come back to just physiology. Like oftentimes these clients really suffer with their work capacity and their aerobic capacity, right? The more mitochondria we can build, the better. We don't have very, if any, good medications to do that. The best thing we can do is build an aerobic base. And so this is where it's really cool. And for myself, starting out as a trainer of how these things merge, because if you can just now start to build an aerobic base with your client, that's going to be a huge win for folks who have you know, the sort of thyroid dysfunction, which is what what we call it when when things are out of balance, but it's not really a frank pathology. It's just the fact that these other contributing factors are, are not in place. And I think you know, trainers are well-placed here because, again, what you eat, how you move, lifestyle factors like stress and sleep and exercise are just huge, huge factors for helping people out. Okay. So if a client, say, you know, is coming to their trainer and they, you know, feeling a little sluggish or, you know, I guess what kind of, you know, symptoms are these clients coming to their PTs for if, you know, if they think that maybe they might have a thyroid issue, are there any kind of common symptoms that you should kind of look out for? I mean, the, the two main ones that are best associated are fatigue and dry skin. The tricky part is a lot of things can cause fatigue and dry skin. So people are concerned with their thyroid clients, especially because your thyroid controls your metabolism. Okay. And your resting uh, metabolic rate is about 60 to 70%, especially in sedentary populations of your total energy expenditure. So it's massive. If your metabolic rate goes down, you're going to hold on to more calories and pounds a lot more easily. So this is where you know, clients are concerned with the, this idea of the metabolic rate. Are they now less able to lose body fat? And I think this is where we got to just, for a trainer, just think of it as a, you know, the thyroid being a marker of stress or, a, or an alarm bell for stress. And so if someone's using these terms of sluggish thyroid, or I think my thyroid's out of balance, you know, the thing that should be pinging off in your brain is this idea that this person is likely overstressed. And so what are the things that contribute to that? Well, 
I'm a huge coffee lover and I've been really enjoying the coffee scene here in, in Australia and Sydney, but too much coffee total or definitely too much caffeine in the afternoon will interfere with sleep quality and sleep duration, which is a problem. People who consume too much alcohol in the evening, even if it's a glass or two to kind of unwind and decompress, that interferes with REM sleep, which will also contribute to this idea of recovery. So we have some things that we want to be addressing there and, and just the, the stimulants, et cetera. And then even in terms of the overall training, you know, Again, HIT training is phenomenal. Dr. Martin Gabala at McMaster University down the road from Toronto and Hamilton. But HIT training is also very intense in the nervous system. So how much HIT training are we doing? You know, circling back that idea of aerobic base. When we look at elite endurance athletes, they spend 80% of their time in the aerobic zone. The tricky part as a recreational athlete is their aerobic zone is still really fast. So it looks like they're going intense, but it's actually just their aerobic zone. Whereas if we think of what our clients do, we tend to spend a lot more than 80% of our time in that aerobic zone. So when you go back to your client, if they're struggling with this quote unquote sluggish thyroid. This is where you got to think stress and you got to get back to, okay, let's build some aerobic base. Let's take some stressors away from what they're taking in through their nutrition. Let's maybe try to prioritize some more sleep. And you'd be amazed. Even when I do talks for, for docs, it's the same things that we're trying to say. And, you know, building those bridges between the different communities is a great way to help people out. Cause at the end of the day, the client just wants to feel better, have better energy and lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, moving on to, I guess, a similar topic is going to talk about the sleep implications for weight loss and performance. And I guess I wanted to chat to you about, you know, the importance of sleep on weight loss. And then I guess we can talk about the importance of sleep on performance as well. Yeah, I guess we might as well just dovetail this into the weight loss since we're just talking the thyroid there. So, I mean, this is pretty straightforward now. People tend to recognize that sleep is important. Uh, I think the thing that we still struggle with, though, is actual execution. Like it's one thing for your clients to nod their heads and go, yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to power down and et cetera. But really getting them to do it is kind of the key thing because we know there's strong associations between lack of total sleep time and increased body mass index. Uh, and again, for the general population, BMI is still a, a valuable and good marker. Obviously, if your client is I'm using pounds here, but 220 pounds and 6% body fat, they are not obese. But So that's a really key point. When your clients aren't getting enough sleep, the, the hormones that make them uh, want to eat simple sugars, carbohydrates, cravings goes up, right? So ghrelin and the hormone that makes you feel full, that satiety signal starts to get dampened. Okay, so it's normal. And if you've had a long haul flight or maybe you stayed up too late on a work, all of a sudden the next day, you know, you're, you're going to crave things when you go to grab a coffee or whatever else. So this is a, this is a big problem. Even one night of poor sleep, if you have the same exact healthy breakfast you normally have, you're going to have a greater blood sugar response. So it's amazing how this easy win, you know, it's, it's free. It's fundamentally effective for health, for weight loss, but we tend to not prioritize it as much. So I think there's a great way for trainers to figure out. I mean, I typically try to tell my clients to just get adding 30 minutes more. So rather than even changing their waking time, try to anchor the waking time. But the, the bedtime is one that we can start to to pull back. But do it slowly. If the person's only getting five and a half hours, you can't shoot for eight right away. It's never going to work. So, so that's definitely a big one. And then in terms of athletic performance, it's just, it is mind boggling in terms of, you know, speed, speed, endurance, power, injury risk, immunity, cognitive function, attention, decision making. I mean, it is across the board now, the, the, you know, in the last 10 years, researchers, you know, expert researchers like Dr. Shiri Ma, Dr. Amy Bender, these folks are doing some phenomenal work with being able to quantify all these things. And now we realize, wow, like it's again, amazing, this totally free thing. And everyone's chasing all of these exotic tools or, or training regimes to get that last 5% and the 5% could just be getting to bed earlier. And so national sleep foundation in the U S says get, get seven to nine hours for an adult. So that minimum is sort of seven, whereas sleep experts will often say the minimum for athletes is eight, eight to 10 really. And so, and this is where it can, it can all be achieved in one sleep opportunity, which is basically, you know, go to bed at night, get eight hours. But for people who 
are not getting that or they want to add to that. And that's when having a nap in the day, uh, you know, between kind of one and four o'clock, depending on when you wake up is a nice strategy. And it can be as short as, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. You don't have to fully fall asleep. Those types of things are great for rebooting the brain, increasing alpha brainwave activity, which helps with, you know, creativity, focus and all that good stuff. So when you go back to work or whatever it is you're doing, then, you know, you can be on the ball as well. Or if you're going back to train clients, you know, you won't wake up. If you wake up feeling groggy, that's called sleep inertia. So you've, you've, you've gone too long. So you need to just tweak your timing there a little bit. And I guess what kind of recommendations would you make to someone that wants to add, I guess, that extra half hour? What kind of strategies would you use? Are there any apps out there? Is there, is there any other kind of anything you can kind of give PTs or PTs can offer their clients to, to help them switch off? And, you know, it's all like you say, it's all well and good to turn, try and turn your say you're going to turn your phone off half an hour before you go to bed. But then there's actually doing it. For sure. I think this is where you know, trainers are well-placed because it's like, you know, client comes in, what do we do? Well, we do a warm-up, right? Whether it's some functional movement, whether they're on the treadmill or something, getting their core temperature up. So it's it's the same idea, but in reverse for bedtime. And if there's any parents listening in, then this is what we do with our children all the time. And at some point along the way, we totally lose track of it. But this idea of of having a sleep routine. So when it gets to nine, 10, whatever it might be, that's the time when now the person's cognizant of, I'm going to be turning down the lights. I'm going to be putting the laptop away. Maybe I'm going to read or do some relaxing activity for the, the next 30 to 60 minutes before I actually go to bed. Because it's really hard for our nervous systems and bodies to go from, you know, working emails, work emails, social media, all that stuff to just turning off and, and going into bed. And it's the research now in terms of just the effect, how little blue light you need to actually impair some of that sleep architecture in the evening is, you know, kind of scary. So we just want to make sure that trying to set them up with a sleep routine, try to aim for just that extra 30 minutes building on that. And what researchers often call it is a sleep opportunity. And so rather than telling your client, you need to have X amount of hours of sleep, because most even athletes are horrible at this. What they tell you they're getting is not actually what they're getting. What you can control is time in bed. So you would just tell them, you know, from 10 o'clock, you have to be in bed. Now, if you're reading or doing something else, that's fine. But, you know, you sort of set these parameters of in bed time. And that's a really nice way of almost coaxing them into more of these kind of relaxing things because they know they're actually supposed to be there by a certain time rather than, Mm -hmm. as we all know, people say they go to bed at 10. But by the time they do all the last minute things and then hit the, you know, hit the pillow, it's probably closer to 11. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's great. Thanks so much, Mark. If listeners want to find out more about you and your work, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, I've got a funny last name. So if you can go to drbubs.com, just Google me, but drbubs.com is the website. Lots of great information there for folks. And of course, on social media at drbubs, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for chatting to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. For a huge range of online nutrition courses, including Networks Nutrition Intensive by Dr. Rebecca Reynolds, accredited for CECs and other professional development points, go to the Network website and select the Courses tab. The Nutrition Intensive includes modules on nutrition strategies for strength and size, fueling fat loss, and effective nutrition coaching. Members of Australian Fitness Network make huge savings of up to 30% on courses. Go to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career. And for face-to-face learning, remember that network members also save on standard rates for Filex, the fitness industry convention.